Amen. Turn your Bibles to John chapter 14, if you will. We want to continue the series that we've been teaching on the Holy Ghost. And um, the Gospel of John is especially precious to us because it was written much later than any of the other letters to the church, uh, including the Gospels, the three other Gospels. It was written probably around 94 or 95 A.D., which would be about 62, 63 years maybe after Jesus was crucified and raised from the dead. And it touches on a lot of things, John being an eyewitness, one of the inner circle of Jesus. He refers to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. I'm sure Peter got a kick out of that. But anyway, it, uh, it gives us a firsthand account of a lot of things that some of the other Gospels, or any of the other Gospels tell us about. Specifically, it gives us more information about the Last Supper, the hours, the last hours Jesus spent with his disciples before he was betrayed and taken captive by the Roman soldiers. And of the importance, the many important things that he told us about, none can be greater or more, uh, you can't overestimate the value that Jesus provided when he was talking about the Holy Ghost. But one of the things that amazes me is what he didn't tell us. We'll read through John 14, 15, and 16, a couple of verses in each chapter about what Jesus said concerning the Holy Ghost. But there were a lot of things he didn't tell us. And when I say didn't tell us, I mean he didn't tell the disciples. So here's Jesus finishing his earthly ministry, about to go to the cross, he knows what's going on. He's been trying to tell his disciples what to expect. And their hearts were so hard or they were so grieved because he said he was going away that they missed probably 95% of what he was trying to inform them of. But Jesus really didn't even talk much about the Holy Ghost in power. He did say in John chapter 14, the works that I do shall you do also, and even greater works than these shall you do, because I go unto my Father. I think that's John 14, 12. But he didn't even really attribute that to the work of the Holy Spirit. He didn't tell the church, meaning the disciples, he didn't give them any information about speaking in tongues. Now, Jesus knew when he was talking about the Comforter coming, praying to the Father and uh, asking him to send the Comforter. He knew the tongues was part of the mix. He knew that tongues was part of the spiritual empowerment the way to charge yourself or build yourself up spiritually but he didn't tell them a word about it he didn't say a word about the supernatural divine communication that speaking in tongues brings he didn't talk about how that the holy ghost would edify us when we speak in other tongues he left so many things out he didn't tell them anything about the gifts of the spirit he left so many things out that it amazes me the confidence that God had in the church. The confidence that God had in these ragtag bunch of disciples. Once they were born again and empowered by the Spirit of God, he knew what they would be able to accomplish. I don't share his faith. In it. When I look at the, the list of the disciples and the experiences thereof and so forth, especially Peter being in charge of the church in the beginning, how in the world did God get away with that? There were so many things that he didn't share with us. So many things he didn't tell us about. But let's look at what he did tell us. John chapter 14, beginning in verse 16. 
He said, I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But you know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Skip down to verse 26. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Luke to chapter 15. Verse 26. But when the Comforter is come, who I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. Now skip with me over to chapter 16. Beginning in verse 7, it tells us some things about the Holy Ghost, but that's really in relation to the world and not the church. So let's start in verse 13. Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I that he shall take of mine and shall show it unto you. So what does Jesus emphasize that the work of the Holy Ghost is going to be? Well, he tells us that he'll abide with us forever. It's not like a come and go type thing. He shall indwell us and be with us for all of eternity. But then he talked about he would bring to remembrance the things which Jesus said. Jesus emphasizes the, word of, uh, the, the work of the Holy Spirit in reminding us of the Word of God. He'll testify of me, Jesus said. Well, that has to do with the Word too because Jesus was the Word made flesh. Again and again, it talks about how the Spirit of God will direct us to the Word of God. Now, folks, I want you to remember you might be familiar with this scripture, Psalm 138, verse 2. It's a very important scripture because it tells us God's attitude toward the Holy Spirit and toward his word. It says that God has exalted his word above his name. God has exalted his word above his name. Now, this is showing what God has considered to be the most important thing or to show God's priority list. He considers his word to be above his name. He's made it so that his word is above his name. Now, what does the name reference? Well, the name of God would be the person of God himself, wouldn't it? And all of the attributes of his person. So if he's exalted the word above his name, we wouldn't be doing an injustice to that scripture to say he's exalted his word above his power because that's a part of the name of God, isn't it? But we also wouldn't be remiss or inaccurate to translate that scripture that he's exalted his word above his presence. One of the things that, well, I don't guess it's new. I guess in, in some sense it's always been this way. But look at how many people that we know and have had experience with in our lifetimes that are pursuing the presence of God rather than the word of God. Folks, the presence of God, whereas it's a wonderful thing, now don't get me wrong, I know there are a lot of great scriptures. Scriptures like in the presence of the Lord, there's fullness of joy. Well, I want that, don't you? 
And there are some good revenge scriptures in the Bible too where it says the, peri- the wicked shall perish in the presence of the Lord. We like those. We pray those to come quickly. And so there are a lot of scriptures that talk about the presence of God and I'm not knocking the, the presence of God at all. I love it just as much as you do when the Lord manifests himself. But folks, there are a lot of examples in the Bible where the presence of God was not the thing that brought victory. Let me give you a couple of examples. The Bible says in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word word be established. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 2 goes on to say, and the earth became without form and void, and darkness covered the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the waters. Well, that's the presence of God, isn't it? Well, if the Spirit of God is moving on the waters, why didn't something change? See, nothing happened until verse 3 where it said, and God said, let there be light. So you've got the presence of God. You've got the Holy Ghost moving on the waters. He's got to be present if he's moving in that place. But it was the word that brought something to change. It was the word that brought God's will into, into being, not the presence of God. There's another example that you might be familiar with if you've been paying attention to our Sunday morning services of late. The event called the provocation when the 12 spies came back from exploring the promised land 10 of them came back with an evil report they rebelled against what God told them they had or what they could do God said the land is yours they said it's not ours the people in there are too strong for us folks that took place before in front of the physical manifested presence of God the glory cloud was present when they rejected the word. Well, the presence of God in and of itself wasn't enough to put them over then, was it? If it had been, it wouldn't have mattered what they said. It wouldn't have mattered what they believed. It wouldn't have mattered what position they took. But we know the story reveals to us that they brought back an evil heart or an evil report of doubt and unbelief. They said, we can't do what God said we can So there's a situation where the word of God was critical and not just the presence of God. Let me give you another example. In Luke chapter 4 and in Mark chapter 6, it tells us about Jesus going to his own hometown of Nazareth. Luke 4.18 says that Jesus found the place in the synagogue he stood up for to read. He found the place, we know of it as Isaiah chapter 61, where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to heal the brokenhearted and bring deliverance to the captives and so forth. John tells us that Jesus had the Spirit without measure. So Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit, has brought the very presence of God into a synagogue. Mark chapter 6 tells us that he could there do no mighty work, save that he laid his hands on a few sick folks and healed them, and he marveled because of their unbelief. He marveled because of their unbelief. So here's a case where the presence of God wasn't able to overcome the unbelief of the people. Folks, I came with one thought and one thought only tonight. And that was the importance of God's word. Even more so than the presence of God itself. 
Brother Hagin told a story about when he was pastoring. I think it was the last church he pastored. He pastored three different churches for a total of 12 years. And the last one was the one he was at the longest. And I believe that's where this took place. But he said that there was a lack of excitement in his church services. He felt like the church just needed a shot in the arm. Something to create a little excitement, get a little momentum going. There wasn't anything really wrong. People loved God. They hadn't fallen away or backslidden or anything like that. It was just kind of a dry season, it seems. And so he decided that he was going to start having Sunday night deliverance services. So he did. He said there were some great services, some wonderful services. But after about six months or so, those began to wane. The excitement kind of wore off on that. So he said, well, I know what I'll do. I'll have loosening services. So he advertised loosened by the Spirit of God. He talked about Lazarus where he came forth out of the grave and Jesus said, loose him and let him go. So that created some more excitement for about six months. And then that began to die out. And then he said, I know what I'll do. I'll start having get set free services. So for about six months, they had get set free services. And the excitement of those services began to wane a little bit. And he sat back and the Lord started talking to him about it. And he asked him, he said, who are the people that came to be loosened? Brother Hagin said, the same ones that came to be delivered and be set free. And then the Lord said this to him, and I'll never forget it. I think it's something that would bear in, each of us should bear in mind. He said, so many of my people are trying to get the results by the Spirit of God that only the Word of God will bring. See, folks, you can't interchange the Word for the Spirit. The Word will lead you to the Spirit. The Word and the Spirit always agree. The Holy Ghost will always lead you in line with the Word. He'll never take you apart from or away from the Word of God, which is the way the Bible tells us, one way at least, that the Bible tells us that we should and, and are able to judge whether something is the Spirit of God or not. When Jesus was tempted of the devil in Matthew chapter 4, when the devil tempted Jesus to turn the stones into bread, Jesus answered and said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Folks, the word is paramount. And people that follow after the presence of God, God will meet them where they are. But there comes a point in time where God's going to tell all of us to grow up. There comes a point in time where God's going to reveal to each and every one of us the need to grow up. And you don't grow up by the presence of God. You grow up by being a doer of the word. It's not the presence of God that brings spiritual maturity. If it was, Israel in the wilderness would have been the most mature people in the history of mankind. They saw the pillar of cloud by day they saw the pillar of fire by night they saw God work the signs and wonders and miracles of the plagues in Egypt as a part of them being released and delivered from the Egyptian bondage they saw the Red Sea part so that they could come across safely but then it came together again to drown out Pharaoh's army they saw water come from the rock they saw manna 
every day. It's not seeing miracles. It's not seeing or sensing or feeling the presence of God that makes us strong. There's only one thing that will make us strong, and that's the Word of God. And you can't be strong without the Word, no matter what you pursue. No matter what presence of God you're in the midst of. No matter what we experience in services. No matter what. The word is the only thing that will make you strong. And it's the consistent teaching. It's the consistent exhortation to be a doer of the word. It's the day-to-day stuff that everybody gets tired of. That's the only way any of us can truly be strong in spirit. But thank God we can. Thank God his word never fails. I love that story that Brother Hagin told. Because the people that are looking to be loosened are the same ones that are looking to be delivered. Which are the same ones that are looking to be set free. And only the word can do any of those things. No excitement. No gift of the Spirit, manifestation of the Spirit. None of those things can do the job that only the Word of God will accomplish. Man shall live by bread alone. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Folks, we need to be constantly aware that the Word of God was exalted by God Himself to be greater than any of His abilities. Or any manifestation of his presence. He put his word first. So should we. Amen. Well I told you I came with one thought. That's it. This service had the potential for being the shortest service in the history of our church. Thank God for his word. Why don't we close with this. Let's all stand. Let's lift our hands and thank God for his word. We bless you, Father. We thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you that your word is the power of God unto salvation. Everything that Jesus accomplished for us. We appreciate so much your presence, Lord. But whether your presence manifests itself or not in our midst, we exalt your word. We exalt your word because you exalted your word. We declare, therefore, that your word never fails. We declare that when we speak the word of God from our heart, things change. We thank you, Father, that your word is the power of God for us unto anything and everything that we will ever need. We bless you, Lord. We magnify you, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, we thank you so much for guiding us into all truth guiding us into the reality and the truth of God's Word. We thank you for bringing to our remembrance scriptures that we need to know and need to remember, promises that God has made, things that Jesus has accomplished for us. Thank you for your Word, Lord. Thank you that your Word is the victory that overcomes the world because we believe it. Because we believe, we therefore speak. And say we are who you say we are. We are who your word declares us to be. We are the healed of God. We are the righteousness of God. 
We are the blessed of the Lord. And your blessing makes rich and adds no sorrow to it. We thank you, Lord, for the beautiful, beautiful word that's been given to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Thanks for being with us.